Hi guys, Tom from Stonewolf here. We're a UK-based fitness apparel brand who sponsor the Shire Fit team. We'll be releasing our brand new performance t-shirts on the 31st of August 2023 and they'll be available in teal and blue. They're performance-based because they're sweat-wicking and antibacterial. You can find these on our website, stonewolffitness.com and use the code SHIREFIT for 10% off. This podcast and the upcoming ballroom competition has been sponsored by Easy Quote Limited, which is owned by Daniel Dobbs, who's a member of our gyms and our community. Dan is present at both sites. He trains at West Yorkshire and at North Leeds, so you'll probably meet him. And if you're lucky, you might get to meet his brand new puppy Doberman Rolo. Dan's company is a local building company that specialises in all aspects of extensions and conversions. Dan's offered for all Shirefit members and families to provide a free of charge, no obligation, in-house quote, along with architects and design if required. Dan also has got a current job running uh, in Idle, which is really close to the gym in West Yorkshire which is a side and rear extension that he's happy to show anyone around by appointment to give them an idea of time scales, costs, um, and the process for such a project. So if you're looking to get some extension work done or any building work done in the future, make sure you either reach out to us and we will point you in the direction of Dan or go to their Instagram at easyquotelimited. With the podcast, uh, this week we have our final podcast on the movement series. Final week. Final week of the movement series before we move on to business. Um, on the next part. Yeah. We talked about that last time. Didn't we? <laughs> you still seem surprised. Um, Max, a lot going on. <laughs> we've got Johnny in, yeah, which is an achievement in its own right. Um, <laughs> he's not been in the gym other than to... Uh, I did, do I did, this podcast? Yeah, to do this podcast. I did yeah. 10 days of my uh, November thing before it just became the last thing on my priority list. Yeah, you got, um, yeah, a baby. I, I mean, we did think it was a bit ambitious. You got a baby, got yeah. house, house renovation, business to run. And it's one of those where, like, Natalie and I spoke about it as well, whereas, like, <clears throat> you know, raising money for the charity is great, but then I don't want to be in a position where I've taken time away from yeah crush yourself and your family in order to do so yeah yeah Yeah. you know we've got got things that need to be done by certain days it's the whole pour from an empty cup in it mate i think your cup's pretty empty at the moment yeah it's not like i've (laughs) got the time to but you're doing something else aren't you do you want to announce that uh well yeah no leave it then preview it like that leave the mystery i think i was also i'm unsure whether to do it this year or next when i've got more time to train okay i think if i do it this year might see with the newborn and things like that i think i won't walk for like a week okay so i think i need to be the sensible coach yeah and just grow the terrible mustache still spread awareness for the cause yeah take the hit do something physical next year when i've got a year of training under my belt probably a good idea yeah okay cool love that so um, today's podcast, guys, is um, we start off with a listener question, which is about how to get back into training after a break. Uh, the strength section is about cheating. Da, da, da. If you're cheating in workouts, you're only cheating yourself. And I'll take you on can that. be added the workout section. I was like, this isn't a relationship podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, we're not talking about adultery. Uh, and then the workout is three of my biggest lessons or learnings as a movement coach over my six years of coaching movements 
Um, so we now have uh, this first list of questions to get stuck into, which is from Ben. Uh, ben says, how do you get back into training slash CrossFit after a long break? Um, and quite topical for Johnny right now, because he's having a little bit of break from the gym because of everything that's going on in his life. So um, there's a few different things and strategies we'll talk through. Yeah, I mean, and uh, it's, it's important to know that if you're in that stage of a life cycle where life is mental and you've got a lot going on, you know, like starting a new business while working full time, while, you know, managing kids, commutes, things like that. If you don't have that air of self-compassion to know where things sit on your priority list and understand your energy levels and what you're, um, what you're capable of, you can get very guilt heavy, mm. especially when you see a lot of people online who are like, wake up earlier, you know, do it anyway. You've, you've, we've all got the same 24 hours in the day, you know, all of that jazz that can just make you feel worse and yeah. that's going to make you more inclined not to train now just because i've not been in the gym it's not like i have been not moving correct and yeah. so when i'm not working on the house working on my business or tending daily and more sleeping then i you know walk the dogs yesterday i did like a walk run with the dogs because i was like I'm gonna, you know and the, the the work that i'm doing can be quite heavy manual labor so there's like enough movement there right now for my minimums mm -hmm. And I think what helps is that rather than thinking we can get caught in an all or nothing mindset where it's like, well, if I'm not going to the gym, then like, what's the point of doing anything? Whereas something is always better than nothing. Absolutely. Oh, sorry, just to chime in because I know you're on a bit of a roll, but I got into a really bad habit with this when I was in the army. And I was like, I somehow told myself that if I didn't have a two hour block, so that would be 15 minutes to drive to the gym, an hour and a half to train, and then 15 minutes back. So maybe an hour and 15 minutes to train, 15 minutes back and then a shower that it wasn't worth training. Mm -hmm. So like if I didn't have a two hour block in the day to train, I'd be like, no, nah, I can't do anything, which yeah. was silly. It was so silly. Like I can, you can do so much in 10 minutes. But that's the mindset that I had when I had my own personal coach. Yeah. And so when I lived in Beeston and I was able to walk 15 minutes to JD, do an hour and a half, walk 15 minutes back and then just get back into work, like that was fine. But then coming to here, slightly different walk, you know, slightly different like class times, open gym times, like everything had to kind of change. Mm. And in, in this instance now, if you say, oh, there's no point if I can't do a class, then you're just going to get more and more into guilt ridden. Mm. Now, rather than kind of working backwards and what you can think for next time is as an act of self care, we need a baseline of movement to think what, what is my baseline that I'm looking after myself as well. And if it is genuinely so mental that actually the better thing for me to do in my spare time is rest, then that's okay. Mm. Because what people don't think of when they hear that get up earlier, do it anyway, is that if you're sacrificing sleep to do those things, you're affecting your energy, you're affecting your recovery, you're affecting your adaptation to training, yeah. you're more likely to get injured. Relationships. All of those things, right? Um, all of those things are important. Super grumpy when I'm tired. Right. And so maybe it's a case of like, okay, every time I go to the bathroom, I'm going to do five push-ups and five squats. Every time I get, you know, every time I've done an hour at work, I'm going to get up from my desk. I'll do, a, you know, I'll walk up yeah. and down the stairs and do some squats. And Hundred lunges, to take five minutes. Well, yeah, you know, just do some lunges, do do sets, do do sets each time you each time you make a coffee, do some squats. You know, you can you can break up the day like that, and that those are things that I've done when I'm under the gun. But now, if you've had some time off, and I, you know, I can appreciate that because I've had different layers of my life where I've kind of got back into CrossFit after some time off or time doing different training your body is going to want to go at the pace you used to go at. Mm. 
And if you do no, that, your head is. Yeah, your head is. Yeah. And then your body is going to redline. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to feel even worse. Yeah. Because you're going to go much slower than you think. You know, you're going to get more tired quickly. You're going to not get the score you like and all the rest of it. So you kind of got to forget the scores that you've got in the past. You've got to forget the times. You've got to forget the the weights. You've got to forget everything. And you've got to go by feel. Mm. And you've got to think, right, I'm going to start this workout slower than I think I should. I'm going to start lighter than I think I should. I'm going to focus on my technique. I'm going to focus on my form. I'm going to focus on staying in control of my breath. And I'm going to come and have a good time. I'm mm. going to focus on having a good time. I'm going to take the numbers away because they don't, they don't fucking matter in the mm. scheme of things. What matters is my movement. And so if you're now nervous about coming to the gym because you're worried about that drop in fitness, know that fitness comes back quicker when it's first acquired, as does strength. And the worst thing that you can do, if you're now in a position where you can make the time to come back and it feels right for you, the worst thing you can do is put it off longer because then it's just going to build up that anxiety in your head's going to make it worse. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, all of that's really intuitive and, and like Johnny knows from experience, it's just come out of um, like what you know from your previous background and experience and watching people go through that process. Like, um, I, I, I was going to say the exact same thing. So I've got three things um, that when I was thinking about this question, that I thought were useful. So number one is if you have the luxury of being able to pick when you train, I would pick things that you enjoy and that you find fun. Um, you might not have the luxury, but I would choose to do things that I enjoy. A lot of people come back and they go, oh, I've um, not worked on my deadlift. So, you know, and that's my weakness. So I'll get straight back into that. And it's like, you just beat yourself with a stick, like do things that you're good at, do things that you enjoy, do things that you love and get that sort of bug back and enjoyment back first. Um, you, you said about in trying to enjoy it first, so exactly that. Second one um, for me is to change your goals. So a bit like what Johnny said about lowering expectations. Another thing that stops people, that anxiety is like, if I come back now, I had pull-ups when I left, I'm going to come back and not be able to do pull-ups. Change the goals. Let's not go for pull-ups. Let's do ring rows. Let's do something completely different. Because if you come back in and try and do pull-ups, you're only going to be disappointed, yeah, by not being at that level. And it's not, you know, your expectations need to lower. And I agree with what Johnny said about lowering the expectations, but I just think some people struggle with that. So if you struggle with that, just change the goals. Yeah, let's not shoot for a one RM back squat. Even though it says one RM back squat in the class, we'll do a five RM instead or a 10 RM or we'll do a pause. Do something that's different. You don't really know what you're going to hit on it. You know, that's what I'd say. Um, and then the last one for me would be to uh, start slow and easy. You know, just like what you said. A lot of people, same with like just running in general. People like, oh, I'm going to get back into running now. And they just try too hard, too fast, too soon. And no one likes suffering straight out the bat. You know, come in, move enjoy it first and then look at increasing intensity after that, which is basically exactly what you said, mate. No, it's, it's fine. It, it, that's <coughs> exactly it though, because enjoyment is the key to building any habit is yeah. that you've got to love it. it. Like some people force themselves to do things because they've got an external target or a goal. Yeah. And then they find themselves never doing it again. Yeah. Like think about the amount of people that run a marathon and then never run again Yeah. because they didn't enjoy it. Yeah. And intrinsic said, joy is such a bigger motivator than extrinsic. You're going to do more. more things that you enjoy. So yeah. if you, as you said, choose the choose the, the classes that you like the look of. Yeah. Throw away your previous scores. I know that people say don't compare yourself to others, compare yourself to your previous self. Yeah. 
draw Don't a line in the sand yeah. Yeah. and now this is your start point yeah, yeah and then anything you progress from there you can compare yourself to there yeah because like if i came back into classes Honestly, now, this, this applies to pregnant women uh, yeah, applies to everyone. injuries yeah. it applies to people with busy lives it's, it's like <laughs> yeah I've seen people fall, particularly pregnant women, fall foul of that. They come back in yeah. and they know what they used to be able to do. And it's four, mo- four months postpartum and they want to do, uh, four weeks postpartum and they want to do what they could do prior to having the baby. It's like, no. you know, yeah, you're a new line. Out. And that's why I actually quite liked when people used to, I think it was Cara Webb who started doing the like postpartum PB and things like that. Cause it's like, right. it's a new line. Yeah. You're a different person. New life cycle. Yeah. 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 I like that. Wicked. On to the strength section, guys, which is, uh, yeah, our take on this concept. The concept is if you are cheating in workouts, you're only cheating yourself. You can kick off on that. Yeah, it's quite complex. I think in many cases you are when it's fine. But in, um, well, it's not fine. You don't want to be cheating yourself. But, you know, it's fine in terms of it doesn't have an impact on other people. But in a CrossFit gym specifically, um, you have to recognize that there's other people who are in that class with you on that day. And if you're cheating, you're potentially impacting them as well. Um, I was talking about this beforehand in that it might be someone else's chance to win on that day. It might be someone else's chance to, um, you know, it's their workout that's better for them. And by cheating, you'd be robbing them of their chance to do well in that workout. I don't necessarily think that we see a lot of it at Shafiq, actually. I'm, I'm quite happy that we don't see much cheating going in, on in the classes in terms of workouts, but potentially we do in terms of standards when it comes to strength things at times, um, you know, where people potentially are desperate. They're not necessarily cheating to win, but they're desperate to try and keep up with other people. And so they'll just cut range, maybe on something like a bench press where they don't necessarily come all the way down to the chest or on a squat where they just don't necessarily hit depth. Um, and that's complex, like you said, about whether it's, you know, beforehand about yeah, it was it on the day. Air, yeah, yeah, like it, there's a difference between hitting your best depth yeah. and then doing that across the board yeah. versus shortening the depth as the weight as gets the weight heavier, goes up. which yeah. I have seen. So, so I, I don't know. Yeah, I think that people maybe in childhood gyms sometimes get wrapped up with trying to keep up with other people when actually, it, in a way, it is kind of cheating because you're robbing that person of having that win of like, oh, I did well on bench today, or I was stronger, you know, or I did relatively better against other people. But yeah, it is complex. Go on, mate. No, you I was going. just going to say because that is yeah. tough mentally. I do get that. Yeah. Like if you're having a shitter. Yeah, I, I just think in like the big person, small person. Um, dynamic that kind of goes on every day in the CrossFit gym where the mm. small person's amazing at gymnastics, they do all the pull-ups, look awesome, mm. and that's their day to, to win. And then the next day is like bench press and maybe the big person mm. should get the win there mm. because, you know, um, that's their chance to show off their fitness, the strength. And then like maybe a smaller person might rob that person of the victory by cutting range or whatever. Yeah, I, I, and I get you there. And I, and I think like when you said about, you know, if you want to keep up with other people, it can be a bit of a shitter if you're going through, like, um, if you're having a shit day at class or you, you're having a terrible week or a terrible month mm. where you feel like you're not really getting any fitter and nothing's really going well for you, which can happen. And then you see everyone going, oh, I've got a PB, oh, I've got yeah. a PB, I've got a PB. You're like, yeah. oh, you know, I really want one as well. So, like, it can be tough mentally. Yeah. Um, but as you said, it's uh, if you cut range that day for a PB, then all your percentages are going to be off. Yeah. And if you cut a few reps in a workout to finish a bit faster, you've not done the same level of work. 
So you you are literally not going to get the same adaptation fitness-wise because you've done less volume. Yeah. Right? So if you think about from an improvement standpoint, all of those little things then add up over time. Yeah. Like let's say because it's supposed to be squat snatch, but you power snatch it. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, my squat snatch is this. But it's actually not. So then all your percentages are wrong. Yeah. Your form is going to get worse as the weight gets heavier. Yeah. And because you've cut that corner, the only thing you're going to have to do is keep come back. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, you're either going to keep to you, yeah, yeah. or you've got to come back again. Yeah. And and that's an even longer process. Yeah. And I think like there's there's cases here like I think the intention matters. So if you're say the workout it has you know whatever fifty wall balls in it and you get to forty and you're absolutely spent and you know you've given everything and you potentially don't want to finish last in the class because you don't want to you know, be seen to be finishing last and whatever. And you, and you, you cut it at 40. I feel like the intention there is more like self care and potentially, um, you know, just looking after yourself on that day. And I think that's fine. And a bit of honesty there. And maybe when you log your score, right. in like only did 40 or something would be useful. Um, and, and justified, but I think if the intention is, oh, someone else has done 50 and I'm going to do 48 so that I can then put my score in ahead of them, then, then there's probably no line for that. And you, I have to recognize that you're not just cheating yourself in that situation and cheating others. Yeah. Yeah. Like <clears throat> if you need to adjust reps, as you said, to maintain the uh, emphasis of the workout or the adaptation of the workout, because it's supposed to be aerobic, keep moving or, yeah. yeah, as you said, to get to the next stage and just, just say like, oh, I did this many reps per round because for me that was then the right workout yeah. for that adaptation. I thought that when I saw the class yesterday with, you know, the level of pull-ups, chest bars and muscle-ups, yeah. you know, for where I'm at, I would rather do it RX yeah. because I can do. It was in pairs, by the way. So yeah, yeah, it just wasn't written. But yeah. yeah, no, no, it, wasn't, no written. it wasn't written on box. So like when I, saw, I think a few people thought, oh God, yeah, that's going to be a lot, big. It's yeah, a yeah, lot in yeah. pairs. Yeah. So, so I saw it in the kitchen and I was like, wow, it's a massive test. And one day, like I'd have given that a good crack. Yeah. But then in my opinion, I'd be like, well, I keep the same stimulus by doing the movements RX because I have the ability to, but I'd lower the reps. Yeah. So they yeah. can still be a manageable amount of volume. Yeah. But then I wouldn't put RX. Yeah. I'd yeah. say, I, you know, I did this many reps. Yeah. So it's just, I, I want to caveat this because I know that this pisses some people off when I didn't intend it to, but like a, a year ago or a couple of years ago, I jokingly put like RX plus in the workout because I used uh, an assault bike okay, yeah, yeah. because all of the like rollers <laughs> were, were being used. I, I think RX plus. <laughs> I put RX yeah. plus as a joke. Obviously it shifts you right to the top. So I just want to say that that was a joke. And I, I think have changed it at the particularly time. at the 10 a.m.s, RX plus in is a big no-no. No, people <laughs> don't like that. I was in the 10 a.m. class. <laughs> so I was just like, and I think that was that. Yeah, so it's yeah. about, I so, think it was if you want to wind up Paul and JP, guys, then just bow yeah, I think that's why I did it, but I think I pissed a few more people off. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Um, on to workout then, guys, which is kind of, um, I thought it was quite fitting, end of the movement cycle, for me to go through as a coach. Um, three of my biggest lessons that I've had as a, a movement coach over the years of coaching. Um, I said learnings, but I don't know, that's become a word now. Is that a word? Three think, of my biggest learnings. I think it is, yeah. Okay, cool. I'm going to say it then. Um, and I've got three different scenarios. And it's, as with everything, um, it's not necessarily my knowledge that changed, but it's my approach that changed. And then the way I thought about movement changed quite a bit. So the first biggest learning lesson that I've had, um, the first big learning lesson I had was down to injuries. And I learned some pretty hard lessons. 
Um, I've only ever had three catastrophic injuries occur in my classes, um, as in the person couldn't finish the session. That's, you know, it was a catastrophic injury in that sense. Um, and they all came at different times to teach me a lesson as a coach. And I thought this would be useful for new coaches or people just in general attending the classes so they can like, figure out when these things might occur and why. Um, so the first one was a guy called Sean down in Corby. Um, and Sean was like a bodybuilder, ex-bodybuilder style guy, you know, like really muscular, quite a tight overhead. And he really wanted to be get better at snatch. So, and I was super keen um, as a coach. I just wanted to really help him. So I decided that, you know, he arrived early for a class. I was, I was there setting up and I thought, oh, this is a great chance I can help him. I'll, I'll do some stretching with him beforehand. So I got him on some bands, doing some stretches and things to open up his overhead position prior to a class of snatching. Johnny's smiling now because he knows how this story ends. So I opened up a load of passive range um, that he didn't necessarily have control of. And then we went into heavy snatching after that. Um, and yeah, he did a snatch, felt something in his shoulder, a big, big bit of pain. I think he did not massive amount of damage, some tendon damage or ligament damage or something. I don't know, maybe a rotator cuff tear. And it was my fault, um, completely my fault. So yeah, in my attempt to help him, uh, what I did was open up passive range that he had no control over. And then because he was strong, bodybuilder guy, he had the strength to pull a weight up that he didn't have into a position that he didn't have control of, um, which led to the injury. So, yeah, I apologize to Sean, obviously, at the time and, and apologize, have apologized since. But it's a big lesson for me in that uh, active range and passive range are very different things. Mm. Well, there's a claim, there's a claim. <laughs> Um, no, there isn't. <laughs> we <can't joke. laughs> he signed away, but now I'm doing um, <laughs> Cool. Number two, second catastrophic injury um, was Casey. Can I just cut ahead of that? Yes. Before you start. Of course you can, mate. Yeah. Is that with the passive range thing? Yes. I'm going to guess that it was very much under the like supple leopard mobility era. It was. Era. Yes, it was. Yeah. So everybody mm. was doing the same thing. Yeah. Like I remember that the head coach of CrossFit Thames at the time was a, one of the coaches on the CrossFit Mobility trainer course. Yeah. And I did that course because we hosted it at Thames when I was there. Yeah. And I remember, you know, banded distraction, you know, yeah. shoulders, like front rack distraction, you know, the use of bands, the use of all of those little sex toys for mobility drills, you know, like the peanut <laughs> and the, yeah. you know, the lacrosse ball and the bum. And like, you know, Yami had us, uh, Yami Tikkanen is the guy's name. He's also Anna Donna's daughter's coach. Yeah. He'd have us, when we did the training plan sessions together, right in the middle of the morning and he was coaching us do them he would have us do something called mashing yeah have you ever yeah, done that i've heard it yeah, so like yeah, you yeah, take yeah. your shoes off yeah. so that you're in your socks and the poor bastard lies on the ground and and they put their foot on your quad yeah. and they mash it yeah. and it's like yeah what we're doing is we're like separating the muscle across the bone i'm like you, it might make my quad taste nicer or whatever. You know, like tenderizing steak. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure this is right. Like, it would absolutely well, well, kill. Kelly Starrett has written another book and um, he accepts in the first chapter some criticism of Double Leopard. Yeah, he actually says, I've, I've contributed to a lot of pish, basically. In and that takes, a, that takes a lot of guts because yeah. we've all, like, you know, I've done that a lot with a lot of what I've believed now versus mm. what I used to believe. You know, it takes a lot to say I was wrong. Yeah. And there's now new knowledge that wasn't available before. Or I have new knowledge that I didn't have before. So fair play. Yeah. But, you know, so do you were doing yeah, I was the wrong. best you had, but you were doing, yeah. you, you were actually yeah. at the top of the mobility game yeah. at that time. 
you know what I mean? You, you were educated to the top of the game at that time. Yeah. It was just we were all doing it wrong. Yeah. So sort of yeah, the key sort of takeaway I thought people might learn from that is like don't confuse the two. If you open in at passive range, you don't then need to lift really heavy in you that need range. To develop you need the active to, range. Yeah, control the range once you're there. So I could have done the work with Sean that I did and then kept him light and he would have been really good for him. Yeah. Or I could have not done the work I did and let him snatch heavy and he'd probably been better. Well, yeah, and, and, and you, to, to add to it again, if, if you're working on your mobility at home, there's a difference between passive range and active range. Mm. So yes, by all means, do the stretches and shit like that. But once you've done those stretches, as part of the same drill in the same day, do some work with like dumbbells and things like that and like do like muscular yeah. things with weight. We talked about that in the length and strength and exactly. um, what works in mobility. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, next one, guys, is, oh, so this isn't the next lesson, this is the next person who I injured. Um, it's a girl called Casey. Uh, in this gym, I literally remember it like it was yesterday. Um, we were doing uh, strict press, and Casey was quite tight through her T-spine, couldn't really extend, um, and was compensating by arching back. And she went for like a near PB weight, and like, really arched for it and really put herself in quite a compromised position and I saw it and I thought I thought oh that don't look good to me I don't really Jack like 100 kilo <laughs> well <laughs> let's not get into that but it was really bad yeah and I, and I thought oh that's not great um probably should say something and then she loaded up for a pb and was gonna go for and I thought I, I thought at the time I should say something and I didn't and then I remember her pressing, she pressed and she did a similar thing where she arched back and like aggressively arched back and, and she dropped the weight and was like, ah, oh, something in my back's gone. Yeah. And she did some damage to her back. You know, I don't, don't, again, I don't necessarily think it was that major. It was maybe six weeks of not doing back stuff, but she still came to the gym and everything. But yeah, um, she had a back injury because I didn't, the lesson here is that I didn't have the strength as a coach to, step into someone and, and say, no, you shouldn't do that. Um, and I suppose that was like a lack of knowledge on my part. And since then I've had situations like that. And it's been a trigger for me of when I think, oh, someone probably shouldn't be doing that. Now I act on it straight away. I go over and I say, mate, I've got a feeling this ain't going to go well for you and let's do something differently. You know, in that situation, I could have changed her to dumbbells. I could have done so many things to protect her, but because I was kind of weak, um, in my knowledge week in my coaching I didn't have the I didn't have the minerals probably to go up and say to her mate don't go for this lift but uh, you know I'm not don't like your position at the moment it takes a lot to, to do that at the time because people are here to enjoy themselves yeah I was, I was trying I didn't want to rob her of that PB exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. A part of that enjoyment. so yeah. again the compassionate side of you there yeah. Max it's like that's understandable. Yeah. Because even then, as a coach, you can only give your best guidance and the person still has their autonomy to do yes, the yeah, next step. Yeah. Um, and that is sometimes a difficult conversation, you know, because mm -hmm. if they're feeling good or whatever, to say, didn't look great that one, I think. You know, mm. Can I offer you some advice? Can, mm. I, you know, can I give you my opinion here? Yeah. And, and when you're a younger coach, you just want, you know, you want people yeah. to love the, love the, love the yeah. hour, the, you know, best hour of the day. That's yeah. their message in it. So. Yeah. And then, so then the last one was as a program, um, we talked about programming in the last uh, podcast. It was a programming into, it was two back-to-back -back sessions that didn't link well together. So um, this was Dalibor. Dalibor ruptured his calf um, in a warm-up. 
Uh, and at the time, I looked back and at the time, I didn't think we'd done anything wrong. I thought it was a freak accident. But actually, a lot of these injuries aren't freak accidents. There's something that's gone into them. And so the session night before that Dalibor had done had quite an aggressive amount of volume of double unders in. So we'd done a lot of double unders, um, probably too many, maybe, maybe four or 500 plus. And then he'd come in the next day and the warm up was, was nothing crazy. It was dodgeball. But three, I got him lined up on either side and a bit hyped up. Three, two, one, go. Sprinted off to get the ball, ruptured his calf. Um, so at the time, yeah, I kind of walked away from the situation thought, well, that was a freak incident, you know, nothing to, nothing to it. But actually going back and reviewing the error there and thinking, well, actually, why did that happen? Well, his calf was tight um, and overworked and overstrained from those double unders. And then the next day we went into a warm-up where, you know, most of the time we play games in warm-ups and that's fine. But I went straight into like I was hyping everybody up, you know, like, everybody line up, right? You're going to sprint off and get these balls, you know, three, two, one. And it was just a bit too aggressive to start with. Had yeah. we had done uh, something different, not a game potentially, or even played a game at a lower intensity, he'd have been fine. Uh, so yeah, my fault. And, and a programming error, um, mainly from too much volume the night before leading into a game like that in the morning. We've seen similar things that we now look for in the programs with like, we play the zombie game, zombie game or weighted game. Um, uh, and we wouldn't do those after excessive shoulder volume, yeah. you know, things like that. So as someone who's effectively a glorified member, yeah, that is really good to hear. Yeah. Because you genuinely were like, well, someone got injured in my class, like, mm. is there a reason for this? And then you saw the programming error with the warm up, or yeah. at least the, there was a, there was a correlation in terms of muscle groups. And you were like, maybe that's not the best idea. Yeah. And I need to be more careful with my correlate on my movement volume yeah. across a week, warm up as well as workout. And that was really good because you've then taken responsibility for something that could have been just a freak accident, but rather than saying, oh, it's a freak accident. You were like, well, was there a reason? And if so, can we make it better? Mm. And it's there's a book about this called Black Box Thinking, where it compares, it's, it's American, so it compares their industries, but it compares yeah. the American medical industry with the American aviation industry. Yeah, I've read it. And yeah. yeah, so the medical yeah, industry, good. they're like, oh, there's just loads of deaths that happen. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's not They call problem. them accidents. Yeah, like accidents, yeah. like happen a year. Or complications. <laughs> because nobody in the medical industry wants to take responsibility. So mm. they'll get sued or they'll lose their job. Like there's just such high repercussions. There's yeah. not the essence of like, okay, you made a mistake. Let's make sure you don't make it again. Mm. Here's the training that you need to be better at your job. It's like, well, you're fired. Whereas in the aviation industry, they've got two black boxes, one in the cockpit for any human error and one in the engine for any aviation error. So you can tell like, okay, that was a human error. We need to implement this training. There you go. Fixed, and and yeah. that's what you've done there. You're like, this was error on my part. Yeah. You know, fix it. Rather than like, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do snatches and then the waiter game. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that was the, so the first one of those three, um, first lesson for me with those three injuries on separate occasions it taught me quite a bit about movement and how to protect people from injury because let's be honest as a coach the number one thing you're going to do for people is you know stop them from getting hurt that's the thing that's going to hold them back the most and i failed on those three occasions and learned a lot from it the uh, second key learning lesson i had was um if something works it's probably not wrong and funny story with this one <laughs> so um you know, I've been on the CrossFit coaching courses and been taught how to do things properly. Um, people can't see the actions that I'm performing, but I'm doing in parentheses 
properly. Um, and so a young, talented boy called Jack Turner arrived at the gym one day and um, we, we were training together quite regularly. And incredibly arrogantly and foolishly, I tried to help him improve again in parentheses, his squat when he was performing way better than me at the time. You know, I thought I was a good coach and I thought I knew what I was doing. So I was trying to help him. And the thing that I you know, saw with Jack at the time was that his knees would swing underneath his body when he uh, towards center when he was standing up a squat. And everything I'd learned at that time was that if you kept your knees out, you would perform better um, and you would be safer and all those things. So I remember saying to him something silly like, and I actually cringe at it now, like, mate, you're good now, but imagine if you like really fixed your technique, how good you'd be. Um, <laughs> and this was whilst he was squatting 40, 50, 60 kilos more than I was, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, obviously I've done a little bit of learning since then and, and recognize that the knees have to come in towards center to get underneath the bar so that you can recruit, you know, everything in your legs to push the bar up and actually, you know, create force, which is what you want to happen. You know, you look, and look at any elite level lifter of any kind and they'll do that. Yeah, the knees will come in towards center. And, and I think the fitness industry at the time, CrossFit specifically as well, had confused pronation um, an internal rotation at the pronation at the foot and internal rotation at the hip and knee as valgus knee, which isn't the same thing. And valgus knee was a correlate to injured knees. Yeah. So they were trying to do the right thing, but probably got the thing wrong in terms of performance. But anyway, the big lesson for me was that if, if it's working for someone, it's probably right. Yeah. Like who was I to think that this guy was doing something wrong when he was quite clearly, you know, talented and doing performing well this is the time he was back squatting 180 you know plus on a regular basis you know he actually went to jack fletney at the time he was he was a founder of shire fit and jack told him stop driving your knees out just push them forward over your toes and i remember he come back from a session with jack done his squat and this is where i learned my lesson by the way done and he hit 200 he had a 20 kilogram jump from just driving his knees forward over his toes rather than out mm. you know and yeah, it was just a huge wake up call for me of like, oh, hang on, like maybe my knowledge is not. So there's a critical level of thought that I was missing. I just took what I'd been told, apply it. And I hadn't learned yet how to go like, does that actually make sense? Like why, if he's doing things wrong, is his performance very good? Well, yeah, but like, <laughs> as you said, that was what you were taught. Yeah. So you were like, well, it could be better. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I paraded the knees out thing until I was taught much more about glute activation and the, mm. the drive back in and the over the toe and how that is different to valgus, which is more of an internal rotation and much yeah. more within like speed and sport, like team sports than it is with like strength athletes. Yeah. You know, you watch Olympic weightlifters, as you said, how their knees like are out for the depth and then they drive in mm. to, to activate the glutes and stand up. And I think what you just said there is like, it's all well and good knowing the perfect technique for something. And then you've got to apply the individual as well. Yeah. So like you yeah, see yeah. this a lot with Olympic lifting. Okay. You've got like the lift, you know, the scoop and the pull and where that is ideally from a, from a back angle to over the knees to whatever, like fine. But then you've got people with different level, you know, different length femurs, different length shins, different length, you know, different hip contacts and all the rest of it. So you'll see like slight adjustments in terms of like hip to back ratio, hip to shoulder ratio and back, you know, whatever, but 
if they're then an Olympic level athlete, like whether they're doing it as best to their anthropometrics. Yeah, for sure. So you just got to have that level of flexibility as well. Yeah. Yeah, and actually that applies on a personal basis. So so that's kind of a big lesson for coaches and for people who are potentially looking at people who perform well. Because it wasn't just Jack, by the way. I was looking at Tara and her, she was doing the same thing. And she's an incredible squatter. She squats over double her body weight. And I'm, the only person who was doing it correctly, you know, at the time correctly, was me. And my squat was poor, really poor at the time. Yeah, but so, just get them all up against the wall. <laughs> oh, yeah, don't start with that. The old wall squat. <laughs> That'll make you better. Squat therapy. Um, so, yeah. And, and, and by the way, on a personal basis, this is true. So if you find that when you... And a good example of this is deadlifting, yeah? you find that when you start in a deadlift you're started you're shifting into a more rounded posture okay then you probably need to be in a better position a more rounded position to start with so your body's not stupid it will find the best way to produce force so if you're you know when you're bench pressing your elbows are collapsing in probably start with them narrower like your body is coming into a place where it can produce force so like don't ignore what makes things work based on what you've been told, essentially. And, and if something does work, then it's probably right. Fine. Yeah. That's my uh, second lesson. The third lesson is, um, for me, was that I used to think that um, crutches, when I talk about crutches, I'm talking about belts, um, heel blocks, straps, and gymnastics wraps. I used to think that they were kind of cheating. And that if I just did the hard path because that was kind of how I'd been brought up in the military and all that sort of line of thought was like, if you do the hard thing, take the sacrifice now, you'll be better in the long term. So I never used Olympic lifting shoes, even though I've got pretty poor ankle, <laughs> ankle mobility because I was like, I'm just shortcutting it and I don't want to shortcut. I want to be better in the long run. Yeah. So I never used an Olympic lifting shoe. Didn't use belts because I thought if I use my core more, it would be, I would be better. Didn't use straps, um, weightlifting straps you know, at all, uh, never, you know, which actually are a great tool to learn kind of connection to the bar and things for the third ball. Didn't use gymnastics wraps. So my hands got really, really tough, which was cool. I could do a lot of volume with my hands, but never as much as like the elites were doing, you know, obviously because they would eventually tear or my grip would go. So again, a lot of these things like were just in my head, I was like, these are cheating like don't don't use these things and you'll be better and actually in reality now i see that they're not for, for example each of those is an example so using a belt is going to allow you to create more intra-abdominal pressure it's going to keep yourself safer and help you lift more the whole it reduces your core activation has been disproven it's not true um if you use a belt correctly you're going to get more gains if you want to use it as a mental tool like, oh, I don't use it until I'm 90% plus, then do it. Fine. I, I love that. Like, that, that's your little edge when you get heavy and, and a bit scared of the weight. Fine. But don't not use a belt because you're going to get better in the long run. It's, it's, it's not true. Do you want to say sorry, man? I was, no, on, I was no. on a full rant there. No, you are. Um, it's fine. <laughs> I, I, I'd say that you've probably educated me there in terms of the... Um, you know, the belt and things like that, because I probably would have had a similar, because we've talked about this in the podcast before. Yeah. Um, but as you said, using the belt pro properly, correctly is different to not doing. Yeah. And, you know, so like if you're rounding your back on a deadlift, like a belt. Belt's not doing for you, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, heel blocks. So yeah, I avoided using Olympic lifting shoes when I should have used them much sooner um, because I, f I thought it was a cheat and that my ankles would eventually improve. But actually what I needed to do was lengthen the, mus the muscles 
that I needed to create the ankle range and then strengthen that range. And what better tool to use that than a heel block? Whether that's a wedge that we've got in the gym now, you know, to help people with squat depth or an actual Olympic lifting shoe, I should have been using them much sooner. Um, but instead, my ankles never improved because I never reached good ranges, deeper ranges, because, you know, uh, I wasn't strong there. And so I should have used the heel blocks, straps. So I'm talking, when I say straps, I'm talking about the little bits of material that you wrap around a barbell. I never used them for Olympic lifting of any kind because, again, I thought if I use my grip, my grip will get stronger, I'll be better. But straps are like a great tool to have on like a day where potentially your grip is a bit beat up, but you want to focus on the movement or focus on your leg drive or whatever. They're also a great tool for something like where I'm trying to train my hamstrings. Yeah. If I'm doing an RDL, I'm trying to train my hamstrings. Why you do I care about my grip? Exactly. You're going to sacrifice the hamstring game. Exactly. Most people will not reach hamstring failure on an RDL without straps because the grip will fail first. Um, and you can train your grip in other ways. Like exactly. Better ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the last one is gymnastics wraps. So I didn't, I know you don't like them and you don't wear them very often, but I didn't use them until, again, Jack arrived at the gym. And in my head, he was doing unbelievable things. 30 chest bar and broken to me was unbelievable at the time. Um, and then I realized he's just sitting on the strap. <laughs> you know, he's not actually holding onto the bar, he's just sitting on the strap which everyone is doing at elite competitions, by the way. Um, and what it allowed him to do was just accumulate so much more volume than I was accumulating in sessions because my grip, again, would fail. And it's exactly the same as the hamstrings. My grip would fail and I wouldn't train my biceps, lats and things in the volume that they were required to grow. And look at how much that's changed then because, look, I've seen your lot, your lot. <laughs> I've seen you guys, you know, with your thumb over the bar and with your wraps. Yeah. And as you said, you can get a shitload of volume. And if you can practice with that level of grip, fine, you know, but where, where, when I was a younger coach and a younger athlete, I was learning under Yami and Carpaoli. And, and so like obviously Yami <clears throat> and his mobility and his mashing and things like that, I can accept was wrong. And with Carpaoli, because he was a proper strict, like gymnast movement bloke, because like, yeah. yeah, you know, thumb around the bar, better shoulder activation, you know, you can have a stronger kip. Mm. And definitely, like, if you're doing a normal kip swing where you want to hollow an arch, if your thumb is underneath, you are going to get more control of your shoulder. There's going to be a limited range, and so you're going to have a tighter kip. Yeah. Fair enough. So then yeah. if you're, like, glide kipping muscle-ups or whatever, fine. But then if you're going to do butterfly and you need actually more slack and you have the shoulder strength to take that level of slack, like what you've just said there, makes total sense to me. Yeah. And, you know... I rip my hands doing pull-ups all the fucking time. Like, it probably happened less. Yeah. Well, yeah. And again, you, you you know, you raise a good point. Like, do we use wraps for everything? No, no. we don't. But if, if I'm in a, if I'm in a competitive <coughs> block, beast part of the season, and I'm trying to accumulate volume kipping reps, I'm going to use straps because I'm going to be able to do more. And it's, it's yeah, yeah. Fun. And it, well, it's, it's different movements. It's like using straps for a hamstring RDL exactly. versus using them for every snatch that you do. Yeah. So... If you're out there listening to this and you're either a coach or an athlete and you're thinking that these things are crutches or short-term fixes, then um, I would suggest that you're probably wrong. Yeah, look at it in the context of the thing you're using it for yeah. as opposed to a blanket. Yeah. It's wrong or it's right. Yeah. Cool. Right then, guys. Uh, hope you enjoyed that. That's my little run-through of the lessons that I've uh, learned over the last few years. Uh, we talked a little bit about cheating on your section and we talked about how to get back into CrossFit um, after a break.
which Johnny's going to have to apply himself. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, if, if anybody wants to chat more about that, because they feel a bit anxious about it or a bit whatever, you know, I've had to do you it You and Ben Westerby times. should be training partners. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ben, hit me up. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll get some sessions in together. Cool. Hope you enjoy that, guys. Thank you.